0: Well, good morning, good morning, and good morning again to those of you that are watching from home. I hope you're having an awesome start to your day. Um, Announcements that I have for today. First, I just want to give a shout out and a huge thank you to everyone who came yesterday to our spring clean I mean, it smells good in here. These chairs got lint rolled. Um, Beulah and Wendy Crozier knocked it out of the park, and Bob in the sanctuary here. But we had stuff going on everywhere yesterday, and it was so cool. We had about 30 adults and about 15 kids running around here yesterday working their buns off. And so um, we had lighting installed next door. We had, I mean, Toilets scrubbed, walls cleaned, windows cleaned, the pressure washing of the outdoors, this playground got taken care of and made sure everything's tight so that when you're swinging, it's not an extra fun swinging (laughs) while you swing off the chains. Um, Anyway, just thank you, thank you to everyone who came contributed and worked your buns off for that. It was just really cool to be together. One thing I love about Brookview is that this place is family. And like we're family, we all pitch in. And that's so cool. I think it would have taken Jason and I like three months of coming every Saturday to get done what everyone got done in one one place yesterday. So huge, huge, huge. How about those planter boxes too, huh? <laughs> ah. So those planner boxes were Shane Huffaker, but also Kepler Callan and Tyler and McKinsey. The kids were, yeah, I love child labor. Okay. I didn't intend to say that. Maybe the guys can delete that. If you're listening live, well, that's special. Um, okay, so... Life groups are starting our spring quarter. Yes, spring quarter starts in April. And so if you are not in a group and you would like to be in one, we have all sorts of different types of group that meet together on different nights of the week. We have some in-person groups for those that are comfortable gathering together in person, but we also have online groups, and those have been really cool. Jason and I spent the month of February and March visiting all of the life groups, and you guys Beautiful things are happening as people are gathering together in community, and it was just a joy and an encouragement to see that. Um, and so if you aren't in one and you've kind of felt like, you know, I feel a little isolated and I would love to gather with other people, even if you don't feel comfortable in person, we want you to get online. Really cool things are happening in those online groups, too. You can have meaningful relationships over Zoom. I've, I watched it firsthand, so... And please sign up for those if you're interested. We have an online communication card um, that you can go to on our website under the contact tab. And then you just kind of click the box and we will get in touch with you. Another thing that you can do is to text group to that Brickview um, number. And we will reach out to you and get you all the information that you need. So please do that in the next couple of weeks because we don't want you to miss out on one single day of that spring quarter. Um, Easter is coming next Sunday. I cannot, yeah, I cannot believe it. Um, Tulips are out, daffodils are out, and it must be spring. So Easter is here, and we are excited to celebrate together. We'll be gathering together for two different services. They're identical in nature. One is at 9 o'clock, and one is at 11 o'clock a.m. Our 9 o'clock service will have a full kids program, which I'm really excited about. And then our 11 o'clock service will have... um, movie, and babysitting, and so kids are still welcome there. We love to have them for that. If you're a parent who's serving at something in the morning and you need your kids to be a part of both of those, they won't be too bored because they'll be different as well. Um, The way that you sign up for church is by going to brookviewchurch.com forward slash church, and then you'll kind of see a list of all the services. Um, You'll RSVP for your family, whoever's going to be sitting in this service, depending on the service you're going to, and then also for our kids program next door. And then we have one other option there as well, and I'm going to talk to the camera because it probably doesn't mean any of you guys here, so I'm going to ignore you for a moment. Um, But for those of you that um, connect with us online and are watching live from home, if you feel like, I'd like to get out on Easter morning and do something a little bit different and see some people in a safe way, we want to invite you to just pull up into parking spots that we have designated for you in front of the church, and you can watch the service. You'll need to bring a device with you. We'll have some goodie bags if you happen to bring be bringing kids with you to help keep them occupied while you're in the car together, and you'll just be able to see from side to side other Brookviewers who are engaging in the service with you, and so um, we want to give you our Wi-Fi password so that you're able to join that service. And so you'll RSVP for that online as well, and we'll give you all the information that you need and answer any questions that you might might have through that RSVP. Someone just signed up for church. Did you hear it? Yeah. <laughs> My watch pinged It wasn't just you, Casey. You're good. You're off the hook. <laughs> um, that's, I mean, we've told you many times. It's like, Jason and I are that lame. Our Saturday dinners are like, bling. We're like, oh, someone's coming to church. And bling another person's coming because sometimes people don't sign up until like seven o'clock. So we'll start our Saturday going, oh, there'll be eight people at church. And then by the time we go to bed, we're very encouraged and like, oh my goodness, there's going to be 35. Um, so anyway, there's, okay, move on, Jen, move on. Um, I did mention earlier that online communication card. Oh, wait, wait, I totally forgot something. Easter. And I'm going to tell those of you at home, Some people have had questions about this. On the RSVP, if you RSVP to church in person, it asks you what is your comfort level with sitting with one other household. That is something that the governor has allowed as part of our gathering. We also understand after a year in isolation, you might not be up for sitting side by side with someone. You do not have to feel bad about saying, I wanna be by myself. There is no shame in that, we aren't judging you, it doesn't mean you're taking up space that we can't fill. We want you here if you're comfortable being here. Second thing, sometimes people are like, I'll sit by another person that I know. That's also absolutely fine. All that you need to do with that is just say, hey, I'm hoping to sit by this person, and we can make those arrangements for you. Our ultimate hope, our desire, is that you feel comfortable being here. And if you want to be here, that we create a space for you to do that. And so we will be, we will bend over backwards to make that happen for you in a way that's comfortable because we love you, we care about you, and we believe in the power of gathering together as family in corporate worship. So there's that. All right. Last thing, your online communication card. We love it when you fill it out. It is at brookviewchurch.com. And I think it's forward slash contact. And then when you punch that in immediately at the top, you will see, fill out your online communication card. And um, it has, you can respond to anything we've been talking about or anything that you want to place for comments, that sort of thing, anything you need, reach out to us that way. And uh, that's it. Oh. Uh-huh.
1: that not make you happy? So we are in this series, the pursuit of happiness, because everybody wants to be happy. Being happy is so much better than not being happy, right? And there's actually a lot of research around this now. It turns out joyful people are actually more compassionate than less joyful people. They're more generous than less joyful people. They develop more and deeper friendships, They're more likely to stay married, they're more resilient in the face of hardship, and they actually heal faster from being sick. So there are all kinds of perks to living a happy life, in addition to just feeling happy. But but as followers of Jesus, here's another reason to take joy seriously. It's because bitter, angry, critical, judgmental, negative Christians are a stronger argument against Christianity than the strongest argument that any atheist ever put out there. Like, people assume that if Christians, if followers of Jesus, are not happy, there's one of two explanations. Either it's because they're following Jesus badly, or, number two, because following Jesus makes people unhappy. And most people will assume that it's the latter. If they see a grumpy, negative, rude Christian, they'll just assume that that's what following Jesus does to you. So the way we live is a reflection of the one we serve. And we've been thinking about living a life of joy. Like, how do we do it? Because everybody wants to be happy. And so today is week four of this four-week series. So we're bringing it all to a close. And all of it has been based on the book of Philippians, which is simply a thank you letter that Paul wrote from prison to the church in Philippi. And today, we come to an idea that is foundational to a life of joy. And it is the the shocking secret that happy people learn. And it is completely opposite of what most people are actually trying to do in their life. Now, as I read this, keep in mind, Paul, Paul was writing to his friends, people that he knew to this church that he'd started years before in the city of Philippi. But now, Paul's in prison for teaching people to follow Jesus. And so from prison, he writes to his dear friends. Okay, you guys, try to imagine. Imagine that Jen and I decided to move on from Brookview. Uh, And imagine that we went, went on to be missionaries, okay, in China or in the Middle East somewhere. And imagine that through crazy circumstances, we ended up in prison for teaching people to follow Jesus. And from prison in China or Syria or Iraq or whatever, we wrote you guys a letter just encouraging you to keep loving Jesus and to keep loving one another. Okay, that's, that's what Paul's words to the Philippians are like. He, he wrote this letter, and then one day, somebody made a long journey and delivered it, and it was read to the whole church. Like, can you imagine that moment? I mean, just like what hearing that was like? Can you imagine getting a letter from Jen and I in a situation like that? And maybe for some of you, you're like, okay, really? Are you comparing yourself to the Apostle Paul? You just say, okay, yeah, good point. Still, okay, here's, here's what Paul writes to people that he deeply loves in Philippi. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, in these words, Paul is simply encouraging them to keep being who they've been. He's reminding them of who they've been and how beautiful that is. Philippians is not a letter of correction. Some of Paul's letters are. This is not. It's a letter of encouragement. But but to live like this was so dang countercultural for them. This was not the pervading culture of Philippi as a a city. Philippi was this everyone-for-themselves kind of city. It was a dog-eat-dog, step-on-anyone-to-climb-the-ladder kind of city. So Paul is painting a drastically different picture of the good life. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, he says. In humility, value others above yourselves. And then he goes on to write more about Jesus. Now, before we get to the Jesus part, which I think is, is just breathtaking, uh, I want to spend a few minutes describing for you the culture in Philippi. Because it has so much to say to our culture, and it's going to help illuminate the words about Jesus that are coming. And so if you're here, and you're not all that into, you know, history, um, hang with me for a second, because this will make what's coming so much more vi- vivid, like, I promise. Okay, now, Philippi was a, a Roman colony not too far from Italy, as you can see, you see the boot of Italia up there. Um, and Roman culture Roman culture in general was completely oriented around status. It was all about the pursuit of what they called honor. So ancient Roman philosopher and politician named Cicero said it like this. He said, by nature, we yearn and hunger for honor. And once we have glimpsed its radiance, there is nothing we are not prepared to bear and suffer in order to secure it. That's not an overstatement. I mean, that's how it was. Rome was the most status-conscious empire in human history, and Philippi may have been the most status-conscious city in the empire. The secret to happiness in Philippi could be summed very simply this way. Advance yourself. Promote yourself. Serve yourself. And so their society was divided into, not just Philippi, but all of Rome, into several clear ranks or classes. And the basic division was between the elite classes and the non-elites. Now, only about 2% of the, the empire was in the elite category, meaning that 98% of the population is just the masses. right? And so at the bottom of all of this are the slaves, These people with no status, with no honor, no control over their lives, they had no personal rights, they are at the bottom of the ladder. Their masters might punish them, might kill them, they had no rights. Okay, then above them are what were called freedmen, and these are people who who were not actually slaves, so they're not in the slave category, but they still don't have many rights. Above them, still part of the non-elites, were citizens of the Roman Empire. Now, most folks living, say, in Philippi would not have been Roman citizens. So still, this is a minority of folks. But to be a citizen of Rome meant that you had rights and you had status that these others did not. And then a very small group of people in the elite, the lowest level of the elite, were people that were called equestrians. Now, that's not altogether unfamiliar to us, right? But originally, equestrians were simply people who had enough money to buy horses And then be able to ride them into battle. And then above them would be a very small, very elite group. People who were members of the Roman Senate. And then at the very top, there was an emperor known as what? Caesar. And there's just one spot for this guy, right? It is as elite as it gets. So this is the ladder that everybody's trying to climb. And everything in their society was arranged to reinforce and incite the race for honor. For example, people's clothes told you exactly what status they were. Like, I mean, there's, we have clothing that's kind of, sort of, like, but theirs was completely status. Like, if you were a freedman, you were able to wear a special hat. Check it out. It's called the freedman's hat. And you could wear it with pride because it would tell everybody, okay, well, at least I'm not a slave. At least I'm not one of them. I'm, I'm a rung up. Now, I'm not going to lie. That's pretty sexy. <laughs> right? Like, where's my wife? Would I not look good in one of those? Okay, so if you're a freedman, you could wear this amazing hat. Um, if you were a citizen, you could wear a toga. And it was totally a status deal because if you were not a citizen, you were forbidden to wear a toga. So walking the streets, this is the point, walking the streets, you knew slaves from non-slaves and you knew citizens from non-citizens just by taking a quick glance at them. Now, if you were an equestrian, not only could you wear a, a toga, but you were also allowed to wear a gold ring, a way of saying, I'm not just an average citizen, right? I'm up here. And then the senators... The level above the equestrians, kind of the elite of the elite, they were really set apart because they could wear a, a toga with a purple stripe in it. Mmm, I mean, how cool is that? So the purple stripe really set you apart. And then, of course, you had Caesar, who had all kinds of perks, and he could wear things that only he could wear, like a crown. So not only did clothing vary, but your, actually your legal rights, Varied depending on your class. Your rights and punishments depended upon your rank. For instance, if arrested, Roman citizens, not well, if arrested non-Roman citizens could be flogged. Just flogged. We all know what that is. But it was illegal to flog a Roman citizen. Okay? And this is interesting. When it comes to Paul being in Philippi, the, the Greek doctor Luke. Who, was, who, who later became a Christ follower and was a traveling companion of Paul, he wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book called Acts, which is short for Acts of the Apostles, about the history of the spread of Christianity. And in Acts, Luke writes about what happened to Paul when they were all in Philippi, when they were traveling around, when he was first preaching the good news in Philippi. Paul was arrested, and then immediately he was flogged. And yet, Paul was actually, a Roman citizen, which was very rare. So after he was flogged, he told the authorities of his citizenship. So he was arrested, then very quickly he was flogged, and then after, he let them know that they had broken the law by flogging him. And so they panicked. And they could be in huge, huge trouble for this. And so they released him from jail, and they pleaded with him to just go quietly. Now, here's an obvious question. If you were Paul and you were about to be flogged, about to be whipped to within an inch of your life, wouldn't you tell them about your citizenship before you were flogged? But here's what's interesting. Apparently, Paul wasn't wearing citizens' clothing. He wasn't wearing the right clothing. He was dressed like a lower-class person. Okay. He wasn't wearing a toga. They would have never flogged him had he been wearing a toga. And for some reason, as he's prepped to be flogged, he says nothing. Now, why wouldn't he assert his status? Well, I and mean, Why wasn't he wearing a toga? What is Paul doing? Well, he was, he was following somebody else's example here, and we'll come back to that in a minute. For now, just know, Clothing was used to reinforce status and honor. And the justice system was used to reinforce their sacred hierarchy. Everything imaginable in their culture was used to reinforce it. Seating at public events was all about status. I was trying to think of an analogy from our day. The only thing really I can think of is kind of like flying. You know what I'm talking about? In our day, if you're going on a flight and you have all the best seats, so you're sitting in the right section, they say that you're flying in what class? Yeah, first class or business class, right? Not, not second class, not economy class, not coach. Not with the, the, the rest of the rabble back there. In fact, they'll, they'll actually pull up a little curtain so the rabble doesn't even get to look into the holy of holies. <laughs> right, where the first class people sit. I'm told that Brian Durr is so snooty, he won't even take a business trip unless they fly him first class, yeah. which also has something to do with being seven feet tall. Can you imagine flying to Denmark for Brian Durr in coach? Oh my gosh. So in Philippi, if you went to a public event, right, like an athletic contest or the theater or whatever, the seating was arranged not by ticket price like we do, but just by status. Right, The senators, they had the best seats, and then the equestrians, and so on. And it was actually illegal to try to sneak into a section that was not your status. Like, you could get arrested and thrown in prison for that. Can you imagine? So while you know, we do, in our culture, care about status, it is not nearly as extreme as it was in Philippi. And most people never went from one category to another Now, among each category, there were various levels. Like, among the senators, there were various offices, and some were higher than others. And so if you were a senator, the race for you was uh, to try to climb to a higher office. And the same was even true for slaves. There were many types of slaves. So even among slaves, there were different levels. Success for a slave was climbing to a higher status as a slave. And this was just true for all classes. This was life. This was the race for honor. This is what your life was all about. Now, sometimes people would lose status for some reason. Maybe it's because of their behavior or maybe a loss of wealth or whatever, but they actually descend from a higher title to a lower title, and they had a technical expression for that. The loss of status was called being humbled. And this was like the worst thing that could happen to you, really. It was worse than suffering. It was worse than death. Nobody ever volunteered for it. Nobody ever said, I'd like to be humbled. But sadly, it it happened. And it was always considered a tragedy when it did. Okay, this is life in Rome. This is especially life in Philippi. And interestingly enough, there are more records of these titles and offices, inscriptions of the race for honor and people's account of their lives. There are more of those records in Philippi than any other ancient city in Rome. But Paul is about to describe the values of a different kingdom. He's about to show them the way of a different king. And this new kingdom turns everything on its head. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, he says. In humility, value others above yourselves. And then he goes on from here to write about Jesus. And so one more thing you should know about status and punishment. The most dishonorable status was that of a slave, and the most dishonoring punishment for a slave was to be hung on a cross. The Romans were quite good at capital punishment. They worked really hard to perfect it, and they used many forms of it. But the most dishonoring, most disgraceful, most humiliating was crucifixion. And it was generally reserved only for slaves because its purpose was not just to kill, but to humiliate. In fact, in Rome, it was actually called the slave's punishment. And this is, guys, this is why our king is so different. And his new kingdom turns everything on its head. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. In humility, value others above yourselves. And Paul then urges us to follow Jesus. So let's read where Paul goes from here. Um, would you stand together? Because I think this is awesome. This is one of the most beautiful things that Paul ever penned. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and humility values, uh, value others above yourselves. Verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So let's, let's work through this thought by thought in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage in other words paul is saying and this is this is awesome he's saying that that christ himself is clothed with god's glory Christ is clothed with majesty, he's clothed with splendor, but he refused to leverage his status for his own advantage. Verse 7, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. With Jesus, there was no crown, there was no purple stripe, there was no gold ring, there's not even a citizen's toga, not even a freedman's cap. Paul deliberately uses the word servant, like literally slave. Jesus has gone from the highest position imaginable to the lowest. And he's volunteered for the ultimate downgrade. And he did it willingly. He did it on purpose. And he doesn't stop there. Paul goes on, verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. What? Yeah, he humbled himself. Now, again, in the ancient Roman world, sometimes people got humbled. Nobody humbled themselves voluntarily. Jesus humbled himself voluntarily. He took a divine downgrade. Paul says he humbled himself by becoming obedient. That's not inspiring to the Roman people. Nobody desired to become obedient. Romans hated that word. That was a term for a child. That was a term for a slave. It was a term of weakness. Great people made other people obey. You'd never describe great people as obedient. But Paul says Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is as low as it's possible to go. So the Lord of all became a crucified Slave. That is the Son of God. That's God. And that made no sense to people in the Roman context. Like, when, the, when Paul and the other disciples are trying to explain this to people, they're like, what? That's crazy talk. It made no sense. And this is why Paul says that to Gentiles, the cross of Christ is just foolishness. Like, it is a loser strategy. And yet it turns out Rome was wrong. And Philippi was wrong. Paul concludes Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says, Jesus humbled himself but one day he will be the most exalted. God will raise him up and everyone will see it. And they will respond. Paul says, One day, every knee in heaven and every knee on earth and every knee under the earth is going to bend. One day, every tongue in heaven and on earth and below the earth is going to confess that Caesar isn't Lord after all. Jesus, the crucified slave, is Lord of all. The kingdom of God is this new reality where the greatest ones are the lowest ones. The highest ones are the servants of all. Greatness isn't about status or power or prestige. It's about service. It's about loving well, serving well, humbling yourself. It's about letting go of status intentionally in order to serve others. And the crazy thing is, this is what ultimately leads to joy. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. And the shocking secret that happy people learn is that the road to joy lies not through the advancement of self, but by death to self. Like, have you ever noticed Jesus's, like, he had this strangest, like, recruiting slogan? He said, Hey, let's do this deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Isn't that exciting? I mean, doesn't everybody want to sign up for that and rush into that? I mean who who in their right mind starts a movement with that slogan? But Jesus says, you you want to follow me? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Die to your selfish, self-serving, self-promoting ways. In humility, value others, serve others, seek the advancement of others above the advancement of yourself. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Your fearful, petty, small-minded, me-first, ladder-climbing self just die to that so that the you God-planned, a nobler, better, truer you might live. So the shocking secret that joyful followers of Jesus learn is joy comes not through indulging my selfish nature, but only through dying to it. First week in this series, we saw that Paul begins his letter to the church in Philippi by writing, "Okay, he just says, from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. (laughs) How inspiring would that have been to most Romans? I'm a slave of a slave. How low can you go? I mean, is it any wonder that Paul isn't wearing a toga in Philippi when all of that stuff goes down? that he'd allow himself to be flogged before claiming citizenship. It's like he didn't see his status as something to be used to his own advantage. It's like Paul actually believed that these words that he wrote here, and he lived it out years before. So Jesus comes to you and me and says, take up your cross. And I know that this raises all kinds of questions and objections and alarm bells, right? Like, whoa, you mean I have to put limits on how much I can accumulate? You mean I have to focus less on achieving all I can and focus more on lifting others up? You mean I have to watch people get ahead of me and actually cheer them on? You mean I have to forgo comfort, security, and pleasure that I'd be able to afford to disadvantage my lifestyle for the benefit of other people? Well, of course not. Uh, You don't have to do that. Very few people actually do that. You don't have to do that. But that is the way of Jesus. That's how the kingdom of God breaks into earth. And that is the secret to living a life of joy. Here, here's the secret that happy people learn The more I try to outclimb and outshine everyone else, the more that's my focus and principal life goal, the more miserable I'll become. And the more miserable I will make people around me. Does that seem overstated to you? Think about it. Where does that life strategy lead? Where does that kind of life strategy take us? It takes us into fear. It takes us into jealousy. It takes us into arrogance. It makes everybody around us a competitor. It builds walls and destroys community. I mean, think about the people that you've known that have like fully indulged themselves in that life philosophy. The ones that will step on your head to climb the slightest amount. I mean, who have those people been in your life? Think, think of somebody. Let me ask you this. Were they happy? Did they exude and spread joy? But, but when I die to the desire to climb and instead focus on serving, it's amazing what happens. The joy is contagious. Communities built. It's like living in a different kingdom. And what happens is heaven begins breaking into earth. Now, I, I just want to give you guys a couple of examples of people that I've, I feel like I've seen really live this out. Two people that I know well that have actually engaged themselves really deeply in the way of Jesus in this regard. And I want us to see the difference that it's made for them. Um, first one. My daughter, Kate, is a senior at George Fox University near Portland, and her main passion is basketball. I mean, she loves it. She, like, really loves She plays for George Fox, and it's uh, the main reason that she chose to go there. She was recruited by a few different schools, and she picked that one primarily because of basketball. They are national title contenders, okay, in their division virtually every year. Okay, but her collegiate basketball journey has really gone a roundabout way. In the spring of her senior year of high school, she tore her ACL, like heading into college. And so she had to sit out, she had to redshirt her freshman year of college. And then the next two years, she played sparingly. And it was like really disappointing for her, for sure. But also, there were some really good upperclassmen that had played a lot, that had a lot of experience. Okay, and so like it made sense. But at the end of last year, those upperclassmen, they graduated. And so this spring in the off season, the team voted Kate to be captain. There are like, there's three captains and Kate is one of them. And I'll tell you what, I know I'm her dad, but she can play. Okay. She can play. And she's like the hardest worker and she brings positive energy and and valuable leadership. So she spent the whole summer working on her body, working on her game. I mean, nobody trains or works harder than Kate. Right, Keller? <laughs> uh, amen. And so she headed back to school, and she had, she had really developed. And she was so excited. But then COVID made things all weird. And their season and their practices were just delayed. I mean, like, everything was shut down. No real practices, like, almost nothing. Like, they'd go outside on the football field and run. Like, yeah, this is why I love basketball. And then they finally got word that they would be able to schedule some games. Not a normal season, no championship to play for or anything, but at least a few games that would start at the end of February. So that's pretty much when a normal season begins to wind down and end. That's when they got started. They were only permitted two weeks of practice by the, the Oregon governor, and it was almost no time to get ready for games. But they were happy to play, and Kate was excited to finally be a leader on the court. And so were other returning players who also had played sparingly. But things did not go like any of those returning players expected. The coach down there is new. He's in his second year. The previous coach was too good. And so he got a D1 job. So the current coach is is in year two now. And this freshman class that he recruited are his first recruiting class. He chose them. He wanted them. He handpicked them. And so the game started at the end of February, and in a shocking turn of events, almost all the starters were freshmen, and almost all the first wave of subs were freshmen, all the girls that the coach knew and the coach recruited that were his hand-picked girls. And unfortunately, he didn't communicate to anybody, any sort of expectations going into that first weekend of games. There was no starting a a lineup announced to anybody until two minutes before tip-off of the first game. Nobody knew what to expect as far as playing time goes. Now, Kate played more than most returners, okay? In that first game, she played 12 minutes. But what a shocking experience for her and for for all of them. And by the way, in 12 minutes, Kate was still the leading scorer (laughs) and had three steals. So we're like, oh, sweet, she showed something. She'll get more time in the next game. Wrong. Five minutes in the next game. And it was even worse for all but two returning players. And it just sent shockwaves through the program um, because they had, I think, 11 returning players. So over the next two weeks, four of them quit. And I wondered what Kate would do. I mean, she's a senior this year academically. She she has one more year of, well, actually, two more years of athletic eligibility she plans to get a master's degree, always has. She got accepted to the program, master's program at George Fox, but also at PLU. So she could easily transfer. It'd be the same league and that would be interesting. So I'm like, well, what if Kate transferred to PLU? And then she went down there and kicked George Fox's butt, right? I'm like, oh my goodness, would that make me happy? Let's go. I started dreaming about it. She's going to score 46 points. Total redemption, you know? Because as a dad, like, when your kid kind of gets hosed, it makes you mad. And so Kate is, is calling me, like, really regularly, trying to process all of her emotions and all of her thoughts and, you know, just spending hours on the phone. And I'm like, this is so ridiculous. I mean, this is an injustice. Baby, you, you got accepted to BLU? Just head up there, and and then when you play Fox, baby, just stick it to them. I mean, make them feel the loss. And then when you win, just run by and point at the bench and laugh at everybody. And I'm like, you know, make me proud. Now, she was, like, really shocked and really hurt and really confused and disappointed. And so it just sucks as a dad. So I was like, listen, you, you don't have to keep putting up with this. In fact, you, you, like, do you even want to finish the season out? Like, there's no shame in quitting. Like, everybody else is doing it. And if a captain quits, maybe, maybe it will alert the administration to a super dysfunctional culture, right? But then during the, the second weekend, the team went on a team retreat. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, where they're going to love each other and stuff. And Kate had this, Kate came out of that with this just really strong conviction where she decided, you know what, I really, really love my teammates. Like, I really love these girls. And even though I'm not playing nearly as much as I'd like, and even though it doesn't feel fair, I'm going to quit thinking about where I stack up. Quit seeing my teammates as my competition and tearing them apart in my mind. I'm going to let go of trying to outclimb and outshine. I'm going to play the very best that I can and then I'm just going to let things fall where they fall. But I'm going to be the best teammate in the world. I'm going to pump my teammates up. I'm going to put pour all that I can into them, not just this year, but like you know what, dad? I'm coming back next year. And I'm going to ask Jesus to give me real influence with these young women and I'm gonna partner with him to do something so much more valuable than score points or win games. She's like, right now I have an open door into their lives and I'm gonna use every opportunity I have to build into them as players, but even more as people. As committed as I've been to winning or a bigger role on this team, I'm I'm gonna be even more committed to being the ultimate teammate and mentor and friend. And so she called me and she told me about this shift and I was like, what, no, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, like what are you talking about? No, I was like, like, who raised you? I mean like obviously your mother. So you guys there was just this tangible shift in her mindset. And and immediately as that shift came, she just she just spelled it out. She's like, you know what, I feel I feel at peace. And I feel joy. And I and I the angst and the inadequacy and the frustration and all that, it was just replaced with something so, so much better. She was free to love and just to serve and just to build up. And it was so much better for her. And also for her teammates. Because the less I try to outclimb and outshine everyone else, the more I'm free to be filled with joy. And the more I'm able to bring joy to those around me. And then amazingly, okay, the weekend after all of that, when she decided that still didn't get any playing time, for whatever reason, the next weekend she played a ton. And so let me just be proud Papa for a second. With more minutes like a real opportunity, she lit it up again, and she was the leading scorer last weekend. Pretty cool, okay? But that isn't her goal anymore. And if that happens, it happens. If not... She's just going to keep pouring into people. Success is now redefined as deeply impacting the team culture and deeply pouring into as many individual girls as possible. And it really has freed her to live with joy and with peace, with hope and anticipation for what these next two years can be. And so I want to tune you guys out for a second and just say, Kate, babe, I am so proud of you. And I know how hard this has been. It's been hard. It's not like having cancer hard, but it's hard. And I am so, so proud of you. Um, man, you guys, it's, it's good. Okay, one more quick example, and then I'm done. At the beginning of this series, I asked you guys to envision something. I, I said, I, I'd like you to picture the happiest, most joyful person you know. And I don't mean somebody that's like plasticky or fake or, you know, just sort of pretending or whatever. I mean someone that's like authentically joyful. They're in general very grateful in their life and they have a ton of optimism about the future and they just breathe life and energy into you. And so my question was, who wouldn't want to spend more time with that person, right? Well, I want to tell you guys about someone that's kind of that person for me. At least one of them. Actually, this church is just loaded with those kinds of people. I talked about that last week. I'm spoiled. I'm so glad to be a part of this church family. But I want to tell you about one in particular, and his name is Tony Ellersick. <laughs> I mentioned a few weeks ago that I had my online groups do an exercise a couple weeks back. I had them brainstorm a list of people that bring them authentic joy. And on my list, of course, I had Tony Yellersick. Uh, turns out, though, I was not alone. Um, not at all. Did you know, dude, you actually made several lists? That's it's pretty cool. And as I said uh, when I talked about this a few weeks ago, my family did too, like Kate, Brooke, Jen, and Cam. Unfortunately, again, you know who wasn't on anyone's list? <laughs> It's just shocking. I just, I still can't get over it. I mean, not even a brown noser in the group. I like, but Tony, you have this, this way of bringing joy that is just unique to you. Um, I mean, how how many of you guys in here, how many of you know Tony? Yeah. Am I right? Oh, come on. Am I right? Yes. So for years now, I've actually been trying to put my finger on what it is. Because it's not like you're this over-the-top extrovert. Um, it's not like you're the funniest guy I've ever met. You're Pretty average, funny, actually. <laughs> Nothing special there. But So I'm like, well, what is it that causes me to love being around you? And um, I, I was thinking about this. I'm like, I actually don't think I can put it into words. Um, but I know somebody who can. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite books all time, is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And my favorite chapter of that book is, is a chapter on pride versus humility. And he talks about how nothing divides people like pride, like seeing everybody else as competitors and trying to outclimb and outshine. But people who actually live with humility are a gift. They are free to root for you, free to celebrate you, free to just love you. And so I'm like, that's what it is. That's what it is. And I think that's what it is for so many. because People know, OK, when I'm with you, you actually care. And you're eager to celebrate people, so eager. Like, you are not difficult to impress at all. You say, wow, a lot. And you mean it. And so here are words that C.S. Lewis writes about what humility looks like. And for years, actually for years, I've thought about these words, and as I read, every time I read that chapter, I read these words, I think of you. I really do. So here's, here's what he writes. He says, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you had to say to him. If you dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Dude, I, I don't actually know if you're smarmy. I, I I don't know what that means. <laughs> But the rest of that, I'm like, that is, that is such a great way to describe you. And, and so when you bring that into a room, man, it is, it's a gift. Um, and so to the rest of you, I just, I just want you to think about you. What do people feel when you walk in a room? And I just want to close by asking you to think about your world these days. The environments that you go into every day, your, your, your family, your workplace, the gym where you work out, group of mommies you hang out with, the dudes you play fantasy football with, your soccer team, your friends at school, think about the places you go and the, and the people that you, that you tend to see there. And I'll tell you the secret to joy that happy people learn. If you die to that internal drive to outclimb and outshine, and instead the servant inside you is awakened and comes alive, joy is inevitable. Serve your co workers, serve your friends, serve your family. Quit worrying if they notice you. Quit worrying if they respect you. Notice them, respect them, encourage them, love them. It's amazing what happens when it stops being about you. This is the shocking, people, the shocking secret happy people learn. When it stops being about you, joy comes. The less I try to outclimb and outshine everybody else, the more free to be filled with joy I am. And the more I'm able to bring joy to those around me. It is not what most people are trying to do in this world. But this is the invitation of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. Father in heaven, I thank you for the example of Jesus who could not have set a more profound example of what it looks like to humble yourself for the sake of others. And Jesus, you are the one that we follow and you are the one that we are trying to learn from and you're the one that we t- we're trying to emulate. And so would you, would you just keep moving us in the right direction when it comes to this? Would you help us to let go of this internal desire that we all have to, to outclimb and outshine people around us, to get more attention, to get the acolytes, to get the respect, to get, to get the, the next level of status or whatever it might be? Jesus, would you you help us to work hard and and do the right things and and let the chips fall where they may, but along the way, make our focus serving and, and building up those around us everywhere we go in our path every day. And would you, through that, fill us with joy and help us to feel your pleasure over our life. Amen.